gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of ESSR Central. My name is David Hockney, and here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, with us is our newest show where we discuss all the latest comings and goings from the world of wrestling, including reviewing the biggest shows and all the backstage news gossip going around. If you want to hear more of this, as well as our regular feature show now, which you can find on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites, make sure you're subscribed to that. We can catch other amazing shows, including Eats Meets West and Saturday Draft Live. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And also check out our YouTube channel, where we've got some even more great shows, including Quiz Showdown and The Conspiracy Theory, hosted by the GOAT, David Campbell. So check all that out, make sure you're subscribed and, you know, get involved. Let's meet today's centralized panel. And it is a bit of a divide here between the greens and the blues, if you catch my drift. Uh, on the blue side, we have the coach of the Turkey national team, but he's more of a turkey twizzler. It is Ross McLeod. <laughs> I think you also forgot current quiz showdown champion. Uh, wait, well, we just spoiled the, the latest episode of Quiz Showdown, but if you want to go back and see how he got, how Ross got to that point, be sure to check it on YouTube. Thing of the ruthless aggression era. <laughs> uh, and on the other side of the the blue team, we have Big Gary K himself, Mr. Gary Kernahan. Been telling you stories about me, David. <laughs> uh, that was my somewhat tribute to you because of uh, of your love for viscera. Oh, I thought you were talking about that other thing. His ego. That was between us. His massive ego. Yeah, but on the on the right side here. Uh, oh, fuck off! <laughs> You've ruined it now. Uh, he's uh, he loves the number nineteen sixty-seven so much that you know he wishes he could go back to that time and relive it all over again. It is Ryan Gallagher. I do, mate. And you know, speaking of um, memorable numbers for our football teams, I went to Halfords the other day to get a new a new bulb put in my, my car. I don't like going to Halfords, but I'm rubbish at doing it myself. So I always make an asset. So I thought I'll go to Halfords, get him to do it. Guy comes out, he's like, I'll fit this for you, no bother. He said, I'll go and get the bulb. Comes back out, fits it and goes, take that in, put it through the counter. No problem at all. Guy scans it through him. Like, How much is that, mate? He's like, £16.90. Furious. You buy a carrier bag? That's the last time I go. I got a carrier bag to go with a bulb that was going straight in the bin. So that's the time I go to Halfords to get a bulb fitted, boys. And if you want to hear more of Ryan's uh, memoirs, be sure to keep an eye on his latest book he'll be publishing, which will be coming out in 2021. Aye, whatever. All right. So unfortunately, we're still recording remotely, and it looks like it's going to be that way for the next uh, next wee while, to say the least. So, But you know what? Let's not get too down about it. Let's carry on with the show. The show must go on, as they always say. And I'm afraid we have to start off with some very sad news in the world of wrestling today. It was just announced uh, earlier on at time of recording that Joseph Laurinaitis, a.k.a. Road Warrior Animal, one half of the legendary Legion of Doom tag team, has sadly passed away at the age of 60. So I want to get you guys' uh, thoughts on what do you think the wrestling community and you guys personally will remember most about Road Warrior Animal in his career? Ross, I'll, I'll start with you. I think just like um, in recent years in WWE, it's became a sort of trend that when a tag team gets together it's like when are they breaking up when are they breaking up they're from the the heyday when tag wrestling was a 
was a, a main event scene where you could main event a show with the, the Road Warriors, arguably the greatest tag team of all time, and no one would say otherwise, no one would be disappointed. He's widely regarded as one of the best ever, you know, tag teams, him and Hawk. And it's it's a shame, obviously, that he's passed away so young, 60s no age to pass away at. Yeah, uh, but Gary, you know, like Ross said, you know, part of the Legion of Doom, it was one of the most iconic tag teams of all times so with the face paint, the, the shoulder pads and the spikes. And of course, how could we forget that 1992 SummerSlam where they came out in Wembley Stadium on the motorbikes? Like, do you think we'll ever see a tag team as who creates such iconic moments such as them? I hope so. Um, but I can't see it for some time yet, given the way that the state of tag team wrestling in the mainstream um, I remember watching the Legion of Doom uh, not long after they debuted in WWF, and they were they were so exciting to watch. They were so different. There was uh, no other team like them at the time in WWF. There was you know you know big brawlers. You know the way they would smash through their opponents. That the physical moves, the Doomsday device looked absolutely devastating. Um, it was a proper finisher there. Um, I remember when they re-debuted or they returned in WWF in 1996, it sort of coincided with when I started watching it again as well. So they're, um, they're a team that I fondly remember and just loved. I mean, as a kid looking at them, but you know, the spikes and everything that was, I mean, Rocko the Puppet probably was a bit of a booking error, but uh, <laughs> the rest of it, you know, there's very few people get through their career in wrestling without one blight in their scorecard, but a tremendous uh, career that Animal had and uh, what a team the Legion of Doom were. They were always, they always are the Legion of Doom to me, They're not the Road Warriors, the Legion, Legion of Doom to me. Yeah, the, the Legion of Doom is just like the most iconic like tag team name I think you could come up with. And it, just one last thing, Ryan, you know, obviously Animal himself had a bit of a resurgence in the sort of mid 2000s, which, you know, a lot of people say didn't quite go uh, as well as, you know, some of his previous runs in the 90s. But I think it's safe to say he did end on a high note, you know, returning as part of Raw 1000 with all the other legends and stuff. Do you think that was a good way to sort of end his WWE career on a high? Definitely. You know, I, I was looking through um, kind of social media today when I heard the news. Um, by the way, Legion of Doom, first wrestlers that I ever owned, we characters. It's the first ones I ever mm. got. My mum got me Poundland versions of them. Um, <laughs> and that's really the first ones I ever had. Um, again, it was kind of before my time of watching wrestling. I kind of got into it more in the kind of 2000s. So I'd only really heard the kind of good stuff and back and watched clips, but I never got to watch them properly week to week. Um, you know, like Gary was saying that he did, but my obviously the kind of recent memory was the stuff with, with Heath Slater when he was doing the, the Legends run on, on Raw. And he actually tweeted out saying that he was one of the nicest guys that he's ever he's ever met um, today. So, aye, big loss. Um, 60, like you say, Ross, that's no age at all to, to go. You know, somebody's so iconic. You, you would hope to have seen him a wee bit more just in the coming years, just kind of popping up here and there, doing what kind of um, Ron Simmons does every now and then, popping up for a wee, a wee cameo segment just for a, a feel-good mm. moment. But nah, really sad news, and hopefully that he's uh, at peace now. It's one of those ones as well, like, you know, we talk about, you know, the iconic look, the music as well, even, you know, when it hit in 2012, when it was coming back to do the the legend stuff with Heath Slater, 
it's still got as big a pop as it did in the 80s. It's one of those theme songs like, you know, Austin's Glass, Undertaker's Gong, that if you smell the rock, like, it's one of those theme songs everybody knows. You talk to people about wrestling, and it's like people that used to watch it, they still remember Road Warriors. Mm. They still remember the theme song. It's something, it was certainly a character that stuck with you. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, safe to say that everyone here eats it. Suplex retweet and everybody else in the wrestling community very saddened by the loss of Road Warrior Animal. But on the plus side, you know now he, uh, he's reunited with his with his tag team partner uh, <laughs> up the stairs. So I suppose uh, every cloud back together again. <laughs> yep, <laughs> we we nod to to Road Warrior Animal. Oh what a rush! So let's start off with Monday Night Raw and. But more specifically, I want to talk about Retribution because they've been featured a lot in news stories as of late. And Ryan, how could it possibly go so wrong for Retribution at this stage? Because there have been reports, you know, that, you know, Retribution's finally unmasked. We get an idea of, you know, who's who. And they've been given such, you know, mental nicknames. Like, you know, we've got like uh, Flapjack or Slapjack or whatever his name is. T-Bone, Laser, Blazer, like it, it honestly, it's like something out of Dodgeball, a true underdog story. But... Oh, you stole my joke. I was, <laughs> waiting. I was waiting for it. Oh, uh, you know what? Ross, great minds think alike, you know, when it comes Laser, to Laser, Taser, all kinds of aces. All kinds of aces. <laughs> all kinds of aces, yeah. I'm just waiting I... for Fran Stelenask if it's Stelenovinsky to pop up at one point. <laughs> She's called Mercedes Martinez. Yeah, her name's Mercedes Martinez now. But Ryan, how could it possibly go so wrong for, for Retribution, you know, the fact that they've unmasked and they've just fallen flat on their arse? Do you know, we, when I was still doing Enemy Back to the Wrestling with, with Ryan, and it was around about the time that they invaded SmackDown, they had the chainsaw and stuff like that, and they, they annihilated the place. And I'm pretty sure we said on this, this is going to be a pile of shite. Like I just, you know, it had poor Nexus written all over it from the very beginning. You know, it was, I think it's probably worse the fact that you know who the people are. See if they had written with complete nobodies. It might have actually been better having the, the masks and stuff and making themselves look like Tom Hardy or whatever it is he was in. Aye, Bane in the Dark Knight. Aye, Bane in a Batman. Like, it would have been better having nobodies doing that, but it's the fact that we know who these people are, and now to me it doesn't make sense when you get me a Yim, who up until recently has been on NXT, so she's been moonlighting. Mercedes Martinez has been moonlighting. Is it Dijakovic that's out there? Because it doesn't even look like him. Like, yeah, uh, I think Dijakovic, you know, he, I think he's bald now. He's got that big mask that goes way over his head and he's got face paint on underneath. Aye. So, like, again, moonlighting. Dio Madden hasn't been, um, obviously, moonlighting. And Shane Thorne has just been kind of wandering about between between all three brands recently. So he's now popped out. So, to me, it doesn't make sense having these people moonlighting because it kind of takes away from the whole we've been wronged persona that they're trying to go with. Now the fact that they're out and they've been unmasked, the masks are, are shite, the names are shite, and the whole thing is, guess what, shite. Ross, you know, I think, you know, with this new sort of heel faction that's popped up on Raw, it kind of takes, like, it doesn't even overshadow the fact that, you know, they've already got a very good heel faction in the form of the Hurt Business, who who in recent weeks, you know, they've mounted their events against the group, you know, since last week, but they've basically just killed off any momentum with, you know, the heart business getting almost a one-up on them every single time. Obviously, I was away on holiday, and then since I've came back, I've really just not had 
any motivation to watch wrestling really. Like I've just kind of read what's happening on Raw and SmackDown, so I'm not as upset about Retribution because really it's I've, I've not been invested in it. It looked shit to me. I only saw the first one where they were throwing like Molotov cocktails at you know generators, which by the way is domestic terrorism. It's <laughs> a felony offence. The names it just sounds like. See when you ask a wee guy to create a wrestler. What's he called? The Executioner. And it's like, oh, that sounds tough, wee man. Oh, I, I wouldn't mess with him. And it's like, if Ryan says, how have these people been wronged? Like, fair enough, like Shane Thorne got to the final of the Dusty Classic and then when his partner left, he's done F all since. Fair enough, I've been wronged. MVP managed him and then buggered off. I've been wronged. Dio Madden got leathered by Brock Lesnar. Fair enough, he's got an I've been wrong story. But then, Dominic Dijakovic was fighting for the NXT title and the North American title many times. It's no WWE's fault he couldn't win it. Mia Yim's had many a takeover main event and many a takeover um, women's championship match. And then up until recently, as Ryan said, uh, Mercedes Martinez, she was main event in NXT with Rhea Ripley. So what have three of this five group got to be upset about? Hmm. Yeah, I think that actually brings up an interesting point there. Uh, Gary, do you think the way that, you know, that Vince McMahon's now got a hold of uh, these, you know, former NXT talent, like we we as big like NXT fans, you know, we've seen these people shine on NXT in all the, the various ways that Ross has mentioned. Do you think that one of the biggest mistakes they've made is that, you know, they haven't really taken like their NXT past into consideration when booking them going forward? It's one of my complaints about NXT superstars moving on to the, the main roster is why have them develop a character and work on that and then in an act in NXT and then change it when you put it on the main roster? You tweak it before you move it. So the AOP with Paul Ellering going to the main roster, no Paul Ellering. That's a fundamental change to the, the act. Keith Lee. Um, it's no surprise to anybody that Keith Lee's always been a big lad uh, so they put him on Raw and yet change his uh, attire and and I think actually the way they've changed his attire just draws more attention to the fact he's a big lad mm. not necessarily the muscular type of physique that, that Vince uh, is prone to, to liking and the same with some of these guys um, I mean, I, I, I've, I've actually found some of Retribution stuff enjoyable, uh, but some of it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are they raw only? And it feels to me like WWE started a storyline and no really had an idea of where they were going with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing play out just now. Like, well, like as Ross was saying, well, why are these guys annoyed? Uh, why, why were they given contracts? Why did they take contracts? <laughs> I mean, the names and the masks are a bit are stupid. But some of the people in there, like Dio Madden, he didn't need to change his his name in there. He had a ready-made story. Mercedes Martinez, I think you could have made a story out of. You know, she was overlooked for many times. She could have been signed beforehand. But what is the great? Why do these guys want to destroy WWE? I think I would have liked to see more of that story before we seen them starting 
to, to rest. So it just made absolutely no sense that why would you want, why I want to destroy this place? Oh yes, but I'll take a job and come and work for you. <laughs> that part to me has not really been explained yet. And I thought there was maybe a wee bit of an Aces and Eights element to this, where it was going to turn out that someday on the inside, you know, that's why they kept sneaking by the security guards because they weren't coming from the outside, they were already in. That would have been a good story to tell, I think. Mm. Um, the other thing about the Nexus, I think the guys are right to flag it up, but also worth remembering that the Nexus was 10 years ago. Uh, it does age us all, but there are a lot of people watching the product just now that won't really remember the Nexus angle. So for some of them, it will be new, but for some of us, it's it's old hat. We've seen it before. But I think that for me, they've just rushed it, Dave. And mm. it made no sense that one week they were destroying the place, the next week they were... Uh, and having contracts and they were having a six-man tag match. Does that mean that now if they go and do what they were doing, they're going to be in breach of contract? Like, are you going to discipline exactly. them now? Like, are you going to discipline the people who are going mental? Like, it just it doesn't make sense. Um, a point I wanted to pick up on though, see when you were talking about the, the heart business, Dave earlier on about having kind of a prominent heel faction on, on Raw. I reckon the, the heart business are going to be one of these I always like to call them anti-heels, right? And that may be the wrong thing to say, but they're almost like that heelish that you just love them, that everybody loves them. For example, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Brock Lesnar has always been a heel, but you still like what Brock Lesnar does. You don't hate him. And I reckon the Hurt Business are going to go in that same route. Because, I, I mean, we looked at them two weeks ago on Raw when they offered their services and they had that amazing segment at the end of Raw where mm-hmm. they just, they come out, I don't know what's the music yeah. that they've got that's outstanding. Music's good. Music's class. They just come out to the top of the ramp in their suits. Jake, it's half ready for a scrap. I don't yeah, know they... why we're supposed to dislike them because they're not, what, what are they doing that's heelish now? Uh, I don't think Cedric cheated in the, I don't remember, did he cheat to beat Ricochet? I don't think he did. No, he just playing as a whistle. Aye. Just the actions in it, you know, it's just that kind of, like... Try to compare it to something. Is it just me? Is it just me? Or do they have like an evolution vibe about them? The heart business, like you know, you know dressed dressed the nines, you know, coming out with gold across the Titantron, as if that's them to say, like, you know, we're we're the number one group in this business. Look at us. I think they're really good, but back to retribution, they're they're dog meat, man. They need to go. <laughs> yeah, you just you can't help but just cringe when you talk about retribution at the minute and. Uh, I've seen from multiple uh, media outlets that have said that when it came to the backstage booking of Retribution and ideas were being thrown out, it was met with laughter. Like, that's how pathetic the the response has been to, to Retribution so far. It's that, you know, the, the concept of the masks, the names, the backstory, everything about it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Like, they, they sure they had a very intriguing start to begin with, but it feels like, you know, it's already ran out of steam. And there have been other reports that, you know, they've actually been uh, plans for a potential Survivor Series match against WWE's sort of main talent against members of Retribution. I don't know how you guys would feel about that for a, a big four pay-per-view. Need to see how the story unfolds. Um... I mean, I don't want to jump to too many conclusions, but where we are just now, it seems like a steep hill t- to go up to get to see the five members that were seen of Retribution in a main event match at Survivor Series. So who would they be going up against? Drew, Keith Lee, Ron Strowman, um, and, and 
two of the female superstars. Um, but there's I, your problem. There's your problem in it. You know, if you've got a faction, and it's all right having this kind of mixed gender faction, but that automatically, having five of them, you know, three guys, two women, that rules you out a Survivor Series match. Because yeah. how are you going to work that? Cause, but it has... Well, there are more members of Retribution, though. They might you might reveal more and more people as the weeks go on. Yeah, there's there's another fifteen twenty of them, and one of them's going to have to unearth you know unmask as the leader. But I think the, the evidence at the moment, I could I could easily believe people behind the scenes. You know, Shane Thorne thinks he's going to get his big uh, his big break, and then he suddenly finds out he's wrestling in the Fruit of the Loom tracky, wear face masks, and he's called Slapjack. I mean, that's a I mean, we've heard all heard Mick Foley talk about when he was signed by WWE and he was told he was going to be Manson the Mutilator and given given a mask to wear, he suddenly, you know, your heart sinks a little bit. But hopefully what these guys can do is they can take their opportunity and run with it and make and make something out of this dog meat. Mm. I mean, Chelsea Blackheart thinks it's badass. Uh, she's she's uh, come out on social media and said it's it, the masks and the you know the very rebellious uh, renegade style attitude. She thinks it's pretty cool. But this coming who's from she, who's she employed by, Dave? WWE doesn't mean she's right. Does not mean she's right. Just because there's something she'd wear at the weekend doesn't mean that it makes it right. Just before we move on, uh, Ross, any closing thoughts on retribution? As Gary said, why are we meant to boo the heart business? They were the ones at their work that got assaulted. You know what I mean? by people that technically didn't work there. And it's it's a bit of a shit faction, you know what I mean? Hurt Business are kind of reviving careers that of people that we wanted to see do well. Cedric Alexander, Lashley, MVP, and then NXT, sort of the charisma vacuums that we've had to kind of put up with. Dijakovic, Mia Yim. So I'm hoping it's a, I, I wouldn't mind a Survivor Series match with it. I think it would be quite good, but hopefully they go into the tag division soon because it's a very, very thin tag division the Raw currently has. And speaking of said tag division, we move into the uh, what is basically a dying breed when it comes to the Raw and SmackDown tag team divisions because uh, we had two teams on the verge of breaking up la- in the last few weeks uh, and another tag team who was literally joining for the first time. Uh, we've got Andrade and Angel Garza, the new number one contenders to face the Street Profits, and they defeated Seth Rollins and Murphy, who look who we assumed you know were probably broken up by the end of the cage match last week, and then uh, they had another mismatched team of Umberto Carrillo and Dominic Mysterio. So, Ross, seeing as you sort of were sort of alluding to the the tag team division there, like what do you make of the current state of the tag division? I do not want to see the Street Profits versus Garza and uh, Andrade again. We've had this feud since WrestleMania. It's kind of like, do you remember um, when Sheamus feuded with Alberto Del Rio? And it went for ages and ages and ages and then Del Rio was injured, so then Dolph Ziggler filled in. So then Andrade was injured, so Austin Theory filled in. It's just, I don't want to see it. I think it's pish. The only thing I would say is if they're maybe, if they're setting up this sort of Cesaro Nakamura versus Street Profits feud their season, I would like it if Street Profits lost and went to SmackDown. But then again, that's another team away from Raw. You know, you've got Dominic Mysterio, who's been, you know, great since he joined, teaming with the Charisma Vacuum that's Humberto. 
You've got Rollins and Murphy who, unless they're in a stable or like in a main event feud, I really don't think they should be in the tag division because Seth Rollins is a fantastic singles wrestler and I think he's above the tag division. Not to be disrespectful to tag wrestling, but he is. He just is. And then, you know, Viking Raiders are injured, Hurt Business are feuding with Retribution, Retribution feuding with the Hurt Business. So I think a, a superstar shakeup is very much needed in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Gary, as Ross uh, alluded to, the um, the Andrade, Angel Garza, and you could also say Austin Theory and the Street Profits feud's been sort of going since WrestleMania. Do you think they missed a trick by not having Andrade and Garza win the tag titles at SummerSlam? I'm torn on this one because it would freshen things up a little bit, but I, I don't enjoy Andrade <laughs> at all. I think he is a pale of the competitor we've seen in NXT, so I don't particularly enjoy that presentation, so that makes me want to say no, but it would have been something a wee bit different, um, and it would have given Street Profits something to chase. Um, but I think generally, you know, Raw's not got enough, sorry, WWE's not got enough for two tag divisions just now, um, and if they're going to make you know, they're going to be serious about it, they're going to have to invest some time in building up some of these teams. I mean, they have done it before, do you remember? Yeah. SmackDown 6, there was very few of them that were established tag teams before that started. So they, they can they can do it, they just got to be committed to doing it, but WWE has not really been committed to tag team wrestling for an awful long time. Yeah, uh, and Ryan, just to round off on this segment, um, you know, we've, we've been continuously praising Dominic Mysterio for his performance ever since he debuted at SummerSlam against Seth Rollins. But do you see, you know, now that he's sort of, uh, he's still sort of embroiled within the feud with Seth Rollins a little bit, but do you could you see Dominic having more of a presence in the tag team division now that, his, now that he's sort of made his impactful debut and now he's going to start settling in as a full-time superstar? The, the thing that confused me about this, this match, right, for the number one contender is that you had three tag teams who they weren't tag teams <laughs> you know like the Garza and Andrade are about to split up Rollins and Murphy are about to split up and uh, Humberto and Dominic have only just been chucked together randomly for this one match so it didn't make any sense and it doesn't make it believable that somebody's going to go on and take these titles you know I, I think the Street Profits are going to win this no problem at all whatsoever. Um, in terms of in terms of Dominic, though, I really I really like him. Right, I actually really enjoy the matches that he's been in. And I put a point in the group chat the other day saying I know who he's does. It might be a bit unfair that he's been able to skip NXT. He's skipped everything. You know, skipped the Indies that a lot of folk have had to go through. But he's impressive. Right, this this boy knows how to wrestle. It's obviously in his blood. It's, he, he's learned from from one of the best as well. The only problem I've got now is that they chucked him into this feud with, with Rollins. I don't actually see where he goes after that because I don't believe that he's going to move on and be a singles competitor anytime soon, like a successful one, because he's, he's, he's pretty much jobbed the whole time he's been there, let's be honest. you know, He's not really had many big wins since he's been in. He's then had this tag match as well, which was totally random. So I don't see him been kind of prominent in either so they're going to need to do something with him soon and take him completely away for this Rollins mm-hmm. feud and just push him into something with somebody else because as long as this goes on as good as Rollins is at, at cutting promos and building folk up 
um, against them, this is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, something you know obviously about Dominic Mysterio, we all know who his dad is, but he is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Some of the criticism I've seen online him does remind me kind of like, yes, Charlotte Flair is overpushed at times, but in the women's division, who's better than Charlotte Flair? You know what I mean? No one. And that, I kind of get that feeling with Dominic Mysterio, but as you said, they do need to kind of take him out of this feud once it's done. Like, he's had such a high profile feud. Doesn't it make sense for him to then be feuding on SmackDown with Bo Dallas? You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and and that's the problem that I've got. You know, like I'm not saying that people can't be successful going, you know, kind of skipping a lot of stages. You know, I don't know what Dominic's done outside of WWE. I don't think he's done a lot of indie stuff. I might be completely wrong on that. Somebody will point out to me. But you look at guys like Cena, you look at guys like Orton as well, they're two of the kind of biggest names that haven't done on it. They never had to do that. Orton, because he's that as well, was he was just plucked out and put in the WWE, became one of the best performers they've ever had. You know, Cena as well, although he had the kind of FCW stuff but beforehand, it wasn't quite as big as what it is now with the, the NXT developmental. So I, I, think, I think Dominic could probably benefit from being taken away from this and actually going to somewhere like NXT and kind of building a character for himself separately from his dad. As we found out later on in the show, it looks like the, the feud between Rollins and Mysterio family isn't close to being over because it looks like uh, we're getting a rerun of the past yet again, only this time we're going back to, you know, a who's the daddy over the top soap opera garbage storyline that you'd see on like Jerry Springer or Maury or something because, uh, I honestly don't know what Seth Rollins is trying to do to the Mysterio family now, like saying Rey Mysterio is not the dad and you could see it on Mysterio's face, he's just not taking any of it at all because he's been there done that with Dominic, but now it looks like they're going to get Aaliyah evolved in some sort of angle. Obviously, at the end of the cage match, you saw her sort of consoling Murphy and stuff. Um, Ryan, is this going to be a disaster, yes or no? No, absolutely not. And I'll go back to kind of what I said. See if anybody can rehash the past and make it good again. It's Seth Rollins. You know, he even kind of alluded to it himself that this is something that's done before, but he's doing it a wee bit different. Like, although he was talking about storyline, I guarantee he makes this interesting. I don't know how he's going to make it interesting. It'll be over the next couple of weeks, but I guarantee in a couple of weeks' time we'll be looking back at this and going, told you. Mm. Uh, Ross, I don't know what you make of the the idea of getting Aaliyah involved in the storyline as well as the whole Mysterio family, but how do you think you see this playing out in the months ahead? I mean, it is kind of hard to take Dominic serious as a competitor when he's most holding them back. But <laughs> <laughs> as Ryan said, Seth Rollins, you know, before going away, I watched Raw from February to end of August for the Raw report. Seth Rollins has continued to be enjoyable. Whether it be the silver tongue preacher, the crazy cult leader, or the person taking people's eyes out, no matter what he does, it's interesting. You'll see the idea, and then you'll be like, oh, it's got to be shit. And then Seth Rollins turns around and turns chicken shit into chicken salad, as the old saying goes. So <laughs> I think it will be fine, as Ryan says. And I don't know if Aliyah's trained to wrestle. I don't know if she's going to be a manager. It would certainly give personality Murphy because other than the the Seth Rollins thing he doesn't really have a character you know what I mean he's never really had a character other than just 
I'm the best kept secret, right? Well, we know all of it, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I... but, but here's hoping that um, Aaliyah is a better promo cutter than her dad or her brother because for all the high flying moves and innovating offense, not one of them can cut a fucking promo. Uh, Gary, any thoughts on, on this uh, potential angle? I really didn't like the daddy story. I didn't think we needed to go back that way. I do like the story of Murphy and Aaliyah. I think they could have found a different way of saying that without rehashing the the Eddie, because we knew what they were talking about, but there lots of people watching that show that had no idea that X amount of years ago there was a ladder match for Dominic, which is really how it all custody battles should be solved. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. um, a couple of things. I don't understand why Angie, the, the wife, is still there because she looks like even more of a charisma vacuum than the others. Um, and also, Dominic's shirt. My fuck, man. He Jeez. needs to go get some fashion Gary, advice. Gary, 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 listen. I looked, I looked shirt. that shirt up. Mate. I looked that shirt up. That cost a fortune, by the way. This is, this is one of the. I'm sure it did, Ryan, but it was hideous. <laughs> it's, one, it's, it's one of these shite. Catwalk t-shirts that somebody wears that's, that's worth about 14 grand and it looks like shit. No, honestly, Ryan, I don't care if I have 14 grand or 140 grand. I'm not paying for a shirt like that. It was hideous. I'd wear it. I'd wear it, bother. All right, you, all right, each to their own. But you know what? Let's. Uh, I want to wrap up this uh, segment on Monday Night Raw, I think, with one of the other talking points is that we now have a new emerging challenger in the Raw women's division now in the emergence of Zelina Vega, who's now the number one contender for Asuka's Raw Women's title. But I think it's also put an extra spotlight on the women's division, the fact that, you know, Asuka has, you know, has returned to being the dominant champion. But Ross, do you think it would be fair to say that, you know, she doesn't have that many credible challengers now that, you know, the Bailey sasha feud has been sort of uh, moved back over to SmackDown? Yeah, I think the women's divisions, much like the tag divisions, are in dire need of a shake-up, I think. Like people are upset online, you know, that this is on the pre-show. What else goes on the pre-show? Like, it, it, no offence to Zelina Vega, but she's not a... Do you think she's actually winning on Sunday? Like, no. Wait, is this, is this match on the pre-show? Yeah, it's on yeah. the pre-show. Oh, man. That just tells you that Zelina Vega should not be in this match. Like, How many matches has Zelina Vega had before the match that she won on Raw? She's not exactly uh, been established uh, as an in-ring talent. And Ross is absolutely right about the shake-up needed. Doesn't it help when you bring Mickey James out of cryo-freeze and then finish, <laughs> her within a, with finish her off within a week? I mean, they could have, but you know, there could have been a wee bit more mileage to that. And at the same time, you could have been building Selena Vega as a credible challenger and then switch her into the story. Mm-hmm. The thing yeah. as well, either the, the, I know obviously, and we all do support it, like the equal equal TV time and equal, equal divisions. But the thing is, WWE at the minute do not have the quality depth, not, not the depth, the quality depth. Women who are like proper draws, some because they weren't presented that way, some in the case of Dana Brooke and Tamina when they're just fucking awful. But <laughs> there really shouldn't be, even with the, the tag division as well, there shouldn't be two tag titles and two women's titles and shows like this, Clash of Champions, where every title needs to be defended, show that up when we're, you know, you've taken two of your singles competitor, Nia and Shayna, 
they are now in attack good. Sasha's not involved. Nikki Cross and Bailey are fighting again. God fucking knows why. Nobody was clamoring for it. <laughs> and then, you know, you've had to be like, shit, we'll, we'll run through the Mickey James feud too soon. And it just... Do, do you mind last year's Clash of Champions where they were doing nothing with Nakamura? So they just kind of threw the Miz versus Nakamura onto the show. That, that It kind of... It just reeks of that, you know what I mean? And the women's division is in need of a shake-up. And if they're going to have two titles, I recommend having a singles and a mid-card title. And much like in 2002 with Undisputed Champion, go both ways. They can go from show to show, challenging whoever. Keeps it fresh. And let's be honest, if not everyone in the men's division deserves a world title, like a Bo Dallas or something like that, then fucking Tamina doesn't deserve a women's title. Let's, let's find something else for them to fight for. Uh, and but Ryan, the I think the only other single star that's getting some uh, spotlight put on them in terms of the women's division is Peyton Royce. Now it has been described on multiple sources in the last month or so that Vince is actually quite high on pushing Peyton Royce as a single star. And we have talked about this on Central before. Uh, do you see what do you think is the the big appeal about pushing Peyton Royce as a single competitor? I did read somewhere that Billy Kay was apparently leaving. Um, I don't know if that's if that's true or not. Um, I don't know if that's maybe why Peyton they've split him up and gave Peyton more of a push just now because maybe Billy Kay's they're looking to kind of get rid of her and just focus on Peyton Royce. But I think Peyton Royce has always kind of been the one that that stands out more. See if you were to pick the iconics and you would go, what one's the main one? What one's the side the side one? Let's be honest, I would pick both of them as main ones because I absolutely love them. But if I had to pick one, Billy Kay would kind of be the extra in the tag team. Peyton Royce was always the one, even when they were on NXT as single singles competitors, she was also one to get more of the push. She's probably more talented in the ring. She's probably a bit more charisma about her. A bit, she can kind of change characters a bit more. Billy Kay's a bit more fun, but as we know in WWE, fun never really gets you anywhere, um, especially in the women's division. You know, you need to kind of be fighting fit almost to be taken seriously which is wrong I, I, you should be able to have that kind of fun character as well getting quite far but I think that's maybe why they're kind of focusing more on Peyton and like I say I wouldn't be surprised if that rumour about Billy Kay leaving actually comes true eventually we'll, we'll jump ship now over to, to Smackdown because I think we spent quite a lot of time talking about Raw because and to be honest it doesn't surprise me because there was a lot of bad stuff on that show and I think we had to just get out in the open but uh, going over to SmackDown now, this was uh, which took place on Friday. The some of the highlights we saw from from this show, where I think one of the key points I'd like to talk about is there have been stories going around that Otis could potentially lose the Money in the Bank briefcase because at the minute uh, Gary he's embroiled in a feud with Miz and John Morrison, and he appeared on the dirt sheet. But even still, this was a a bit of a, a car crash segment to say the least. You know, Miz getting you know. Brought down east oh, for God, and I never imagined, I never thought, you know, Miz was the kind of guy to wear tighty whities But that's, <laughs> I'm gonna have to burn my eyes out after seeing that now. Like, so what do you think about Otis's run as Mister Money in the Bank? Well, before I answer that, what type of underwear did you imagine Miz wearing? <laughs> I don't know, just like a, a standard pair of boxers, like any other, None. None. any other guy with a sense of fashion. <laughs> I, I'm quite frankly, if I was going, if I was married to Maurice. I wouldn't give a fuck what underwear I wore. 
<laughs> I, Otis, I think it's fair to say uh, that Otis' run thus far with the money in the bank briefcase has been underwhelming. He's really done nothing of note since he won that briefcase. Now, I don't know if that's a deliberate ploy in the sense, you know, they give it to him and kind of, like in the case of Dolph Ziggler to an extent, he made you forget about it or uh, as to when the cash-in happens, it's more impactful or it's they got a wee bit overexcited and, you know, gave him the briefcase and then realised actually this guy's not ready for it. Um, which I think, um, you know, they had, you know, to be fair to them, they, you know, heavy machinery wasn't pulling up any uh, any trees before then. Otis was coming across as a bit of a character, but he hadn't really had a single feud of his own before then, and he suddenly wins this massive prize. So I can see why they might be thinking it, but if you take it off him, that would have damage to him going forward. He probably would never be credible uh, as a challenger going forward. Who would you give it to? Because uh, missing Morrison are now being built as main event stars in any way, shape or form just now. I think I know who they're going to give it to. And I thought it as soon as he won it. I was like, he's not winning this. I said it at the time. I'll say it now. Baron Corbin is taking that briefcase off of Otis. You know what, Ross? That's actually quite an interesting shout because, Ryan, as we all know, Baron Corbin is a former Money in the Bank winner. Don't uh, make me talk about this guy, Dave. <laughs> Don't make me talk about him. I'll bring the darkness eyes. <laughs> oh, i tell you something. i tell you something. And, and my, my former co-host, Ryan Wilson, will agree with me. See if Baron Corbin gets this Money in the Bank contract. I will never watch a wrestling ever again until it's done and dusted with until he loses it somehow if he wins the title I'm done with it like Baron right, that's Corbin, it game over mate get, Baron Corbin is a mid-carder at best he's your guy that you chuck into feuds he's, he's great you know he's decent in the ring he's, he can cut an alright promo but he's not a champion man and I know what would happen if they gave him it be like the same as last time except this time he would end up winning the bloody belt and I'd need to sit through Baron Corbin talking about dog food again for months, and I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. Mm. See something. Uh, so originally, when obviously Otis won Money in the Bank, you know, this is when obviously Dave, you and I were on the uh, Rumble MVP show, and when Santino was brought up, you rolled your eyes. We all did have a bit of fun, and like it was funny. Santino was funny in the Royal Rumble, but. These characters, these sort of, the Coco Beware, the Santino Morella, the Otis, it's fun cheering them, they're the underdog, it is fun to cheer them. But when they win, it's problematic because it's not believable when they win. That's why you cheer them. When they actually win, it's like, fuck, what, what, what do we do with them now? You know what I mean? And it's just the, the originally I've seen the, the rumours that it was going to be Tucker was going to come back as soon as he won it. They were going to have a tag run. Then Tucker was going to screw him, and it'd be like Tucker would be his like, Well, hello. Uh, if Mandy can do it, Tucker can do it. Um, <laughs> it, would be, it would be like that would be his big singles feud before the title feud. Ross, see, just when you're saying that there, mate, just to, to jump in, um, you're talking about Tucker kind of turning on him. Did you see the, the bit from the, uh, last week's SmackDown? when they were talking about the Miz and Morrison suing uh, Otis if he doesn't give up the, the contract. 
And Otis said at the end, oh, we're in big trouble. And Tucker went, no, you're in big trouble. And mm-hmm. it, they just left it at that. So I don't know if that was something to kind of look into, but it was mm-hmm. it was quite a strange thing for him to say. But like, even, obviously, we've just talked about the tag division being completely dead on Raw. What was to stop Heavy Machinery to still be featured going over to Raw and winning their tag titles and then when they lose, Tucker attacks them and goes, oh, this was too focused on Monday and the money in the bank. You know, where's, you know, where's my spot? Like, blah, 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 the usual tag team split up thing. Gary mentioned Dolph Ziggler. Like, like, Dolph Ziggler captained the Survival Series team when Money in the Bank. Dolph Ziggler main event of the pay-per-view for the briefcase against John Cena in a ladder match. So the, they were still featured. Otis has just been a, a non-entity. Yeah. Like the Mandy, the Mandy storyline was funny until he got Mandy, and it's, it goes back to the the underdog. You cheer them, but when they actually get the prize, it's like, what do we do now? I still cheer them. Mm-hmm. I don't notice. Uh, it's it's a it's, it's a weird one, you know. It's like Otis is one of those guys where you like you want to cheer and cheer on until he gets to where he, he wants to be, and then when he gets there, you're just like, okay, what now? It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know this is where the movie ends, and you know everybody can go home feeling happy, but you know this is the the, the sequel that fell flat, and it's uh, it just sort of discredits the original story to begin with. Um, the thing is, at the same time, um, the Universal Champion at the time was Braun Strowman. Then it was The Fiend, and it was Roman Reigns who was doing his best work like ever. Mm. What, and then on Raw, you, put, you built Drew McIntyre up as this beast that can't be beaten. You're about to, I think Randy Orton's winning on Sunday, you're about to build Randy Orton up. Otis doesn't really fit in there, you know what I mean? Like a Baron Corbin sneaking a win off one of these people was believable. Otis is just like, it makes the other guy a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of Roman Reigns as the dominant champion, he's got quite uh, an intriguing and intriguing feud going into Clash of Champions because, I mean, Ryan, who would have ever thought that his first title defense would be against Jay Uso, his cousin, who, as we all know, for best part of a decade, has been pretty much a tag team competitor his entire run, and they defeated Sheamus and King Corbin in a Samoan street fight. So I'm not really sure that's different from a regular street fight, but. Um, what do you make of the dynamic of this feud as it builds towards Clash of Champions? It's just a street fight that involves Samoans, mate. That's all it is. It does <laughs> the, that's the only difference. Um, I don't. I don't understand why Jey Uso is there, unless they proved to me afterwards that they had a plan all along for this. Like you know, I think it was a few weeks ago. Jack said on on Saturday Draft Live. They can see this going towards some kind of heel bloodline faction, you know, once is it Jimmy comes back. Um, that would make sense. You know, see if something happened after this match, that would make sense. But see if they're just going to have Jay so to come out in this match, job for a bit, and then disappear again. Pointless. Utterly pointless. Mm-hmm. So, Gary, just as Ryan said, you know, we think... Do you think uh, with Jimmy possibly coming back from his surgery... Do you think this could potentially grow into something much bigger, or do you expect to see something completely different uh, when the pay-per-view comes around? Um, I th- I think this is a, a means to establish Roman as more of a heel. Um, I can see, you know, they've, they've had a couple of moments where they've sort of been smiling at each other, and then, you know, Roman catches them looking at the championship. I think they'll go into this match, and um, 
ultimately it will lead to they might be a wee bit competitive or friendly to start with but then it will lead to a convincing victory for Rome and I've been a hundred times more interested in this match than I thought I would be when I seen it uh, first announced I'm really enjoying this new Roman Reigns character I hope he continues to evolve and you know changes things up a little bit gets away from you know the shields character that he still you know he still looks like the same like he does I hope he changes the, the presentation up a little bit mm. uh, but I can see uh, I, I hope that this this feud to this match at the weekend uh, uh, and Sunday is really just a vehicle to establish Roman more as a vicious heel that will do what it takes to win Speaking of uh, changing his presentation you know aside from his uh, his shiny new teeth that we saw at SummerSlam uh, Ross there have been stories going around that Roman's entrance is getting a bit of a revamp. You know, his, his ring gear is going to change again. He's going to uh, carry himself as, you know, sort of like uh, like his shield attire, but without the, the vest for once. And he's rumored to be getting a new theme song as well. Do you think this is going to really hammer home the fact that this is a complete U-turn from what we've seen Roman Reigns as, you know, the, the Superman heroic type character that we've all been used to seeing for best part of six years now uh, definitely I think it's very much needed like you know we had a thousand shield reunions and the way you, when you hear that music that shield music it didn't hit home as well as you thought it would because you, you've been hearing the theme song in main event after main event for the past six years as you said because it still is Roman Reigns. All they've done is cut the, you know, Sierra Hotel. And did you forget how to spell Shield there, Ross? I no, I just didn't know what Why Sorry, sorry. Continue your point there, Ross. Continue your point. <laughs> uh, as Ryan said uh, before he would let it up to me, <laughs> but Jay uh, so being brought back. It can't just be a means to an end. I would like a heel stable, as as they've been rumouring. You know, Jimmy's due back. Um, I would like maybe Paul Heyman to convince them, like, look, look what I've done for Roman. Look how I got you into that fatal four-way. Look how I got you into the main event for a world title. What do you think I can do for you as a tag team? You know what I mean? And it would certainly make the Usos like you know they were just the happy dancing people with the face paint then they completely changed at the 2016 draft they became this sort of new new team and that was really interesting and then now they're, they're slowly reverting back to that sort of smiley happy except they've got different gear on this time you know what I mean so it would be another step in their evolution and just calling it now there's been rumours of Big E versus Roman at WrestleMania. I would love for a raw guy to win the Rumble and for Big E to have to team with the New Day against Roman and the Usos at the pay-per-view before it to like get his title match. I'd love to see the Uso, sorry, the Samoan dynasty against the New Day. And you know what, I, I honestly don't know why you're not on the booking team, Ross. I think that sounds like a smashing <laughs> idea. But there have been rumours coming out this week as well that The Rock uh, hasn't said no to a possible main event match with Roman either. I mean, and we all know you, Ross, you're a big 
big Rock fan. Like, would you rather, see the, would you rather see the Rock versus Roman? I would rather, well, not, not more than Big E, but like, in this era where everyone's impressed with 40 flips and six super kicks, strike, um, <laughs> I would rather watch The Rock talk about Melba Toast than any Young Bucks match. I fucking love The Rock and I would love to see him at WrestleMania. The only thing is, I think people are sort of set on a, a Roman versus Big E title match. I think if The Rock came back, people would be annoyed they weren't getting that match. But at the same time, I would not care. I will be there with my Just Bring It t-shirt on, cheering mm-hmm. yeah. loudly, and I will love every second of it. I only want to see that if it's in a stadium with a crowd. I'd, I'd be all for The Rock coming back, but not mm-hmm. in the not in the Thunderdome, not at the Performance Centre, or whatever they do <laughs> this year. I want it in, in a stadium with a massive mm-hmm. crowd, her a thousand folk or whatever it will be. If it's not going to be that, don't do it. And not for the title, please, because I think that makes the result too predictable. Just mm. a grudge match. I'd like, like, there's, would you call it, there's certain obviously we've talked about at the start of the programme with the Road Warriors theme song, um, or the Legion of Doom, or whatever you want to call them. Um, there's some iconic songs, and they need a crowd reaction, and you saw how bad it was when. Edge's theme song had like no fanfare, no crowd. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'd I'd much prefer, as Ryan said, in a stadium, hundred thousand fans, if you smell booms over the speakers and the crowd go mental. One other thing I'd like to touch on SmackDown wise before we move on to our next bit. Uh the Sasha Banks and Bailey feud. Now, I think that's probably the the hottest thing going on SmackDown at the minute. Now, we have been debating up in the air about, you know, where's this breaking point finally gonna happen? Now Obviously, the breaking up of the tag teams already happens, but when are we going to see that big match? You know, we've talked about, is it going to be Hell in a Cell? Is it going to be Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble? It might even stretch out to WrestleMania, but we actually saw Sasha uh, return from that beatdown from Bailey, only to get beaten down again. But aside from, you know, looking at the feud within WWE, Sasha Banks now has a more prominent role, uh, Ryan, where she's been featured in the trailer for season two of The Mandalorian. Now... I know we get this thing in WWE, you know, where if a superstar is featured in like a movie or a, any sort of media style promotion, they want to be there to, you know, promote it and big it up as much as they can. But do you think this having Sasha still being featured on SmackDown regularly is the right course of action, despite, you know, such a brutal beatdown from Bailey? I think what's going to happen is, and here's a here's a hot take: this weekend, Nikki Cross is going to win the title off of Bailey because Sasha's going to get involved and ruin it for her and as we've said before this feud does not need a title to to make it relevant so I think if you put the belt on somebody else like i.e. Nikki you can have some other feud for Nikki going into future future pay-per-views for title matches and you can have this being separate and it just adds that little bit extra to it where you know, you've got the bad blood you've already got. Now you've got Sasha costing Coston Bailey um for the tag titles, he says in quotations. <laughs> and then she does it as well for for the SmackDown women's title as well. So I can see that happening. Don't get me wrong. I'm less convinced at the fact that it's Nikki Cross, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out this weekend. I think that I think Nikki Cross will actually win this weekend after a 
um, but interference, and that might lead to some relics of us as well. Why are we not more excited about, you know, Nikki Cross winning the SmackDown Women's title? I said this before on Saturday Draft Live, like, this is someone from our hometown who could be on the verge of becoming SmackDown Women's Champion. Couldn't care less. I don't care where they're from. It's the same way, like, Drew McIntyre after he won the title, cutting all these, hey, you cool cats and kittens, absolutely cringeworthy. Oh, I'm dead Scottish with my Gerard Butler accent. Like, no, I don't care where you're from. I don't care where she's from. Nikki Cross is as boring as the Melba Toaster reference. Because I've seen people put online about how they don't know how the result's going to go at the weekend. I agree with Ryan. I think Nikki Cross is winning due to Sasha interference because they think Nikki Cross and Bliss doesn't need the title and Sasha and Bailey doesn't need the title. Sasha and Bailey does not need the title because they have been two. They've been two of the stars of the of the COVID era. They, they have been sensational when they had all the gold. It was amazing TV. Nikki Cross is as wooden as the table I'm sitting at just now, and she is absolute. I don't care if she was an ICW. I don't care if she's from Scotland. I couldn't care if she stayed on the same street as me. I don't care when she goes back to Sanity Nikki because Sanity Nikki was great because she didn't fucking speak. Sanity were brilliant and Nikki was a great part of that that team and it's it's criminal that Sanity was wasted, particularly when we're talking about the dearth of tag teams. They would have, you know, been uh, a real get for that for SmackDown if they hadn't been messed up. But Nikki, I I don't think Nikki should be wrestling for the main title. We, you know, Bo Dallas was mentioned earlier on. Bo Dallas is never going to wrestle for the title. Nikki Cross suffers because there's not a, a mid card title for some of the women to go after. Um, then as well, so she, I don't think she's credible at this point to be challenging for that main title. We, we mentioned Nia Yim earlier on when she was challenging at uh, NXT Toronto last year. She was an incredible challenge to Shayna Baszler. They just needed, you know, just ran out of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, one of the points the guys were touching on there uh, about Sasha, I'd like to see Sasha off TV for a while and then her return becomes more impactful than that. Might a follow, given that she got a, another attack there. But I would like to see this story. I, I think this story should culminate at WrestleMania. Um, I think they deserve it. I think it's been a great, you know, the two of them have been amazing. Uh, if I meet each other inside Hell in a Cell, or is that looking, le- do you think that's the most likely case at this stage? Well, that's the rumour, isn't it? That it's going to be Hell in a Cell. And one of the dangers of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is that you end up making ma- matches for the stipulation rather than a find a, a, you know, you've got a match that really belongs in there. And Sasha and Bailey should and could get to that destination. But really, that shouldn't be a Hell in a Cell match shouldn't be the first match you have. You should work through other things. And then it's got so bad, it's like, right, we're going to finish this in Hell in a Cell. You don't start it off with Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Like, Hell in a Cell is mainly just to sort of end a feud rather than, you know, kick uh, it off. But you never know. You know, we could revitalize come WrestleMania season. We might get, you know, both scenarios met. We're going to jump back over now and I want to talk briefly about NXT. Now, throughout the, the past week, there's been announced that it's going to be a, a Gauntlet Eliminator match, which is kind of like an elimination chamber match without the the chamber itself. And the five competitors that have been announced are Kushida, 
Kyle O'Reilly, Timothy Thatcher, Cameron Grimes, and Bronson Reed. All relatively new challengers when it comes to the NXT title feuds, because a lot of these guys you would see around normally either the North American or the tag uh, team division. So, Ryan, I'm going to ask you quickly, like, who do you see winning this Eliminator match and becoming Finn Balor's first challenger? The person that I see it being is uh, Cameron Grimes, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I like him, not that I think he deserves to be there. I just think that they're quite high on him just now, and he seems to be getting put into some kind of decent matches recently. Um, like I say, probably more than I would. I'd put him into it to be fair if I was in charge, but I'm not in charge, so I don't make decisions. Um, I can see him kind of pulling something off. As well, he had that stuff with Finn Balor before, mind, a few, a couple of months ago when, when Balor was just coming back. They had that wee feud, so that might be something for him to kind of build on. Um, whoever wins, doesn't matter. They're not going to beat Finn Balor for the title anyway. Um, he's holding that for, for a long time, I reckon. But I, that's who I can see. That's who I can see winning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary, I'd like to ask, do you think, you know, you know, we don't normally see these guys in sort of the main title picture, but, you know, with so many of NXT's, you know, regular talents moving over to Raw and SmackDown now, do you think, you know, NXT is one of the, the those promotions that actually knows how to, you know, showcase future talent and, you know, actually continually look ahead to the future? Absolutely. I mean, it's got a great track record of doing it. Just look at Bronson Reed's emergence recently. It wasn't that long ago that he was a glorified jobber uh, on some of these shows. So he's now working his way up the card. Um, I think this will be a a very enjoyable match. Some great talent in amongst it. I think Ryan's right. It probably will be Cameron Grimes. I think Thatcher's uh, not done enough yet. Um, O'Reilly would be interesting for the undisputed error angle, what that means for it. Reed's too to uh, not established enough yet. He's had one main match with the he's he's fought in that ladder match there. Kushida and uh, Finn Balor I would enjoy seeing. I'm not sure that it's takeover main event in terms of the bill because Kushida has been quite has been very stop start and NXT hasn't really got the momentum that one would have expected them to have got up to within it. So I can see Grimes as some as one that WWE seems to be very uh, high on just mm-hmm. now, and you can see he's got some some real potential there. But I, w- I would quite like to see Kushida and Finn Balor. Mm, I think that be you know obviously both those guys you know very familiar with competing in Japan and stuff. I think you know the the diehard fans who watch New Japan like. Uh, like Grant would know, like a Finn Balor Kushida match would definitely sell. But I think to a wider audience, I think you're both right. I think Cameron Grimes seems like the most logical choice. Uh, Ross, uh, we've talked before on Wednesday Night Wars that you know Cameron Grimes has been the very sort of sm- snarky heel that he is. You know, uh, you know, with the, the hat wearing and everybody was chatting. F- uh, it, it basically, he's one of the guys you could get an item of clothing over more than Chris Jericho did with the scarf. Uh, but what I just wanted to I want to know your thoughts about Cameron Grimes as a competitor. Do you think he is a credible challenger for Finn Balor? Uh, no, I think uh, if they are going to go up against, I, I believe this takeover is going up against the Dynamite Anniversary Show. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will be him. I, I think obviously we mentioned Kushida. I think it will be Kushida will face Velveteen Dream. 
I think Thatcher will end up having a match with Bronson Reed. I think Kyle O'Reilly will win it. I, I think Undisputed Era at the minute are, you know, Adam Cole sort of turned face in the Pat McAvee uh, match. He's since shown respect to Finn Balor after the match, giving him the two sweet sign. I think there could be could be Kyle O'Reilly and maybe Kyle O'Reilly says to the Undisputed Era, I need to do this on my own. You know, I, I, I need to do this on my own. And I think Kyle O'Reilly is part of a stable that has run NXT since 2016. Or sorry, 17, I should Yep, 17, yep. He is a draw, he is a headliner. He's a former Ring of Honor champion, so he does also have that diehard sort of fan base. And I think him and Finn Balor would be a great match. It certainly show more of Balor's technical side uh, going up against Kyle O'Reilly. We've saw before, if, if you haven't seen it, uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly both made their debut against Alistair Black. Both had very different types of matches, both very enjoyable matches. So I think it'll be Kyle O'Reilly. Personally, I, I I don't want it to be Cameron Grimes. I just it's something about him I just don't like. <laughs> uh, he's got that very uh, sort of annoying. Again, as I, as I said before, it's like that annoying tendency as a heel that you know makes you want to root against him. So, uh, yeah. but now we're into the last sort of segment of the of today's show, and I want to talk briefly a bit about AEW. And there have been a few talking points uh, with regards to AEW because. Uh, this week, uh, we saw the first uh, episode of Late Night Dynamite, uh, as opposed to AEW Dark. And then obviously in the weeks prior, we had the sort of Super Tuesday competition between Dynamite and NXT. But one thing that really stood out to me in the past week was that we had Best Friends versus Pride and Powerful or Santana and Ortiz of the Inner Circle uh, in a parking lot brawl. I mean, it was uh, it was a pretty solid match, but nothing you know that would scream instant classic. And yet, there goes uh, Mr. Maeve Deltzer uh, giving it five stars. I, Gary, I know we want to we we have to take this rating system with a pinch of salt, but five stars for the for that parking lot brawl. I mean, that basically says it's better than Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25. I think people pay far too much attention and give too much credence to one man's rating system. Enjoy what you enjoy, make your own mind up, watch your own stuff. You're entitled to love whatever type of match you want to love. I I, I don't understand why people give so much credence to what one man thinks. He clearly has his preferences and he's entitled to have his preferences. We all know that if a match tends to happen in the Tokyo Dome, he'll give that higher score than he would do the same match happening in a different arena. So don't don't get worked up about it. Mm-hmm. We, we spoke about uh, Road Warrior Animal at the start of the show. We talked about you know all the great classic matches they had did. How many five-star matches did the Road Warriors get from Dave Meltzer? And yet we're still... We will talk about Road Warrior Animal long after his passing. Will we talk about Dave Meltzer long after his? I don't think so. He's just... He'll be replaced by another smarky guy giving out five-star, six-star, 94-star because Kenny Omega done six V-triggers, so apparently that makes him better than Shawn Michaels. You know, as Gary said, don't get walked up about it, you know. We, we, we talked earlier, none of us watched Japanese wrestling. As far as we know, the matches could have been that good. You know, I watched the parking lot brawl, thoroughly enjoyed it. Wouldn't, I, it's one of those hardcore spot fests, though. 
I'm not going to remember it in six months' time, but I'm going to remember Rock Hogan for the rest of my life. Ryan, I don't know what. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this uh, this very controversial rating that this match has been given? The only thing that I want to say to Dave the Melt is quoting the EST of WWE just by saying stars don't fucking matter. Like they don't matter. You can't like as Gary said, you can't rate a, a wrestling match on five stars. You know, people like what they like, people hate what they hate. We've sat here tonight talking about different things. I said earlier on that I thought the Seth, the Seth Rollins stuff was going to be great. Some millions of folk are probably going to disagree with me. But who who's right, me or them? Nobody knows. You know, mm-hmm. if I if I enjoy it, that's great. Dave Meltzer is like I say, a melt and he just wants to big up Japanese wrestling because he thinks it makes him cool and hip and trendy. You know, a bit like Grant McGrobby, right? But... <laughs> oh, wow. But it, it, it doesn't... You know, if that's what you like, fine, but don't try and then compare, you know, your star rating that you give to matches based on other things as well. You know, like you say, if it was better than uh, Shawn Michaels and Taker at WrestleMania, are you kidding? Like, let's be serious. Come on. A parking lot brawl is better than one of the greatest WrestleMania matches that's ever happened? No, not for me. Mm-hmm. See the thing with well, Ryan, what you said, who's right, me or them? That's the thing, it's, it's an opinion based sport. These are both right, Ryan, as Gary said. People talk about, you know, it's something that we've talked about before when it comes to football. It's a stats game now, every all, but this guy's got. And when you talk about Messi and Ronaldo, two great players, people will have that debate till these guys retire. Yep. Somebody will go, oh, he scored more penalties, but he scored more free kicks. And it's like, doesn't it matter if he's got more five stars and he's got more four stars? At the end of the day, it turns out to if you tune into the wrestling, who do you pop more for? You know what I mean? So, we might pop a chubby because Japanese wrestler four is is walked into the room. Me, I'm going to be rock for the rock. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> and you know, I, that's the thing. Like it doesn't make Grant wrong or me wrong. It just it means it, it's different. Th- not different strokes for different folks. There you go. Don't say, don't say different strokes. Wrestling's more than just... A, a, it's, a, it's an overall performance in the presentation. It's more than actually just what somebody does within the ring. And folk can have great matches in the ring. But the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan's never going to get five stars off of Dave Meltzer. But that was a blockbuster match, which years later people still remember. Um, you know, I put 68,000 people into the Sky Dome. It was one of the biggest events that WWE had at that time. Neither of those people will be regarded as, as great technical wrestlers, and they're not, and they didn't have to be, because they were amazing personalities. People say Hulk Hogan without the hype is, is nothing. Well, that's like Spider-Man without the spider. It's, <laughs> Just you can't take it away from them, I. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay, guys, very last point before we have to start to wrap up. Um, we actually saw the AEW singles debut of one Matt Seidel, the man formerly known as Evan Bourne in WWE. Now, obviously, he didn't get off to the best of starts in AEW, as we saw it all out, where he... Really does not. You know, he slipped and fell in his arse at the Casino Battle Royal when he went for the, the shooting star press. Matt Seidel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he goes into a losing effort against Sean Spears, but Gary, I want to bring up one point in particular where Chris Jericho's been featured heavily on commentary and stuff. 
And the way they've been beefing up Matt Seidel on <laughs> AEW is that, you know, Chris Jericho even pointed out that Matt Seidel does have a one-on-one -on -one singles victory over him. And believe it or not, this actually occurred almost 10, over 10 years ago at the very short-lived Fatal 4-Way pay-per-view. So what do you think? That's a, do you think that's a really good moment for you know, a veteran like Jericho to put over Seidel on his AEW debut? Yes. Uh, I mean, Jericho is... Jericho's a class above, isn't he? Uh, when it comes to this, he he can put other folk over, and uh, it's a long time since Seidel has been in the spotlight, so people may not recall who he is. So it's nice to give that little kudos to him. Ross. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, uh, obviously going up against Sean Spears, you know the man formerly known as Ty Dillinger in WWE, like. You would, you would think that if you saw this match in WWE, it'd probably be squeezed uh, somewhere into main event or maybe one of the sort of lower tiered shows. But do you think AEW is sort of a ground where both of them can really, you know, showcase their talent and get put over like they probably should have done? The Sean 10 gimmick Spears. Yes. The guy, I, I don't want to be known as number 10 anymore and has not been memorable since, you know what I mean? Like, just... I, I don't care, and we're talking about Jericho putting over Evan Bourne on commentary. It happened at Fatal 4-Way 2010, when Evan Bourne beat Jericho on pay-per-view. You know what I mean? We're saying it's not WWE cast-offs, and then this match took place in the WWE pay-per-view 10 years ago. I didn't know until we obviously did the notes for the show that Seidel made his debut, because I've, I've not watched AEW this week. But he really he shouldn't be losing to Sean Spears, for Christ's sake. Surely. The, the dark, the dark regular. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've got a funny story about Sean Spears or Ty Dillinger. Um, a few years ago at WrestleMania 32 Access in in Dallas, when I was there, um, we were queuing. So, that, Gary, you've been as well. You done Access, didn't you? Yeah. You can queue. You see all the wrestlers, and there's loads of them round, and the queues are all, all kind of slinky. There was one section at the side for NXT wrestlers at the time, and they changed the sign. And it said Ty Dillinger, and I was like, "Oh, I recognise that guy." I looked down the queue, and there was five people waiting to meet him in the queue, and I felt dreadful, like the guilt just came across me. I thought, "I need to go talk to this guy." Like he just, <laughs> he, he's just sitting at a table there. So I, I had to quickly Google, like his most recent match on NXT, and I went across to him. I say he was wrestling Ross or something like that. I went across, to him, "Oh, seen your match last week against Ross, man. That was brilliant." And he's like, "Oh man, thanks for watching." I was like. I mean, I'm just here because I feel sorry for you. Oh, this is not going to. This is not this comment I'm about to say is not going to be well received, but it never stopped me before. Now, AEW <laughs> just seemed obsessed with WWE. I mean, they like to make it sound the other way around, but it's always AEW seem to be the one more often than not that are mentioning WWE or taking pot shots. Mm -hmm. But the, the rating war seems to only exist in the minds of some people. Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you're not the only one, Gary. You know, I think there's a. I think we've criticised AEW in some aspect. You know, for using like recycled talent. You know, like with Miro coming out last week as well, who is now Kip Sabian's best man. It's. I, I can see why you would. Why you would say that definitely. I quite like seeing see people who are leaving WWE. I like seeing people going to AEW, but they're going to get a decent chance. Now, Rusev or Miro, I thought he had a decent enough crack. So. <laughs> I, I, him going to AEW isn't that big a deal. Sean Spears, and this is the thing as well, but them um, kind of building folk up initially. When Sean Spears went across 
um, had that initial kind of debut where they attacked Cody. I thought that was going to be something. I actually thought, here, by the way, this guy's got something about him. But then it's almost like they kind of do stuff for the reaction to begin with, and then they don't care after that. You know, they, they kind of just like, right, done him. Next, who, who else is getting released for WWE? You'll bring them in again. So now they've done it with Rusev. He's going to have this wee, this wee kind of run. They've done it with Brody Lee. Um, when you know when he's come in, I can see that eventually petering out the whole Dark Order stuff. That will eventually kind of peter out and disappear again, and we'll move on to the next person that goes let it go for WWE. So I get you what you're saying, Gary, about them being obsessed with WWE. It's almost like they just do stuff for the reaction to go. Oh look, we're giving this guy a platform. Cool, you forgot about him two months later. CM obviously uh, you mentioned them being obsessed with uh, WWE. Chris Jericho recently interviewed, uh, I believe it was this past week or the week before, and he was talking to somebody about NXT, surprise, surprise, uh, and he was talking about rumours that NXT was going to move to Tuesday night, and he was giving it like, yeah, well they should, you know, it's embarrassing, they came after us, and it's like, no, NXT was in talks for a year and a bit about moving to the USA Network. The USA Network were smart, and when right, we're going to wait until the height of Wednesday night wrestling's at its peak. They went two weeks before. They gathered an audience. They're still, you know. And then it, when it comes to this ratings war, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho both said at the start of this: oh, Are you going to tune in for seasoned talent, or are you going to sh- tune in for a bunch of rookies? So immediately they discredited those people. And then they've made a pure big deal that they beat these people, and it's like, well, hold on a minute, you just told us you would beat them anyway, so why the, why the fuck should I? Well, uh, I think that's a, a pretty good way to wrap things up there. Uh, you know, Ross, you know, giving a good rebuke against uh, EEW there, but you never know. We'll, we'll see uh, We'll see how that pans out in the in the next few weeks. But I want to take this opportunity, you know, thank my panel for joining me here on ESSR Central. This is uh, one of two main shows that we produce every week. Uh, ESSR Central comes out every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. We also have ESSR Feature coming out every Tuesday. And this week, uh, we discuss one-time WWE champions. So be sure to check that out as well, hosted by Derek Kernahan. Uh, so all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you to my panel, Ryan. Cheers, Dave. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ross. Thank you very much. This has been ESSR Central. I've been David Hockney, and we'll see you next week. Hello, I am the GOAT, David Campbell, and I would like to invite you, the listener, to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel. And that show is The Conspiracy Theory, where once a month, I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there, such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.